two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is time. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? Is the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Wednesday show of Pro Bowl week. Uh, and on the Friday episode, we actually will break down the Pro Bowl from a daily fantasy perspective. But more importantly, we are basking in the afterglow of two great conference championship games. We have a Super Bowl matchup that has a lot of promise. And this weekend, we get the Senior Bowl, which uh, for many people marks the beginning of draft season. So for this episode, we're going to take a quick look back at this weekend. We're going to preview the matchup between the Patriots and the Rams on a unit-by-unit basis. And we're going to look you know, at the NFL draft kind of start to think about team needs, players we like, where they might go, and what that might mean for fantasy. And joining me to talk about all this is Ian Harditz. Ian is the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Also use the app to get real-time NFL odds and track your bets for free. Ian, um, I have some exciting news for you, for me, for our listeners. This show has finally arrived. We have sponsors. And so later in the episode, you're going to uh, have the pleasure of hearing me randomly transition from talking about football to talking about not football. That might seem rather jarring, but uh, you know, my audible subscription and these Mac Weldon clothes aren't going to pay for themselves. You know what I mean? So anyway, Friedman reading and ad libbing ad copy, something to look forward to. Uh, in the meantime, I want to remind you to rate and review the Action Network NFL podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. And for all of our written content, go to the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Ian, let's jump into it. We had a great weekend of football, and I say that even though I had a hashtag not good go of it as a sports speculator. Uh, what stood out to you from the two conference championship games? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Matt. If, uh, if, if the outcomes were open up to my uh, mind before the game started, we'd be looking at a Saints and Chiefs Super Bowl right now. But alas, here we are. Yeah, man, biggest thing I uh, took away from the Rams-Saints game was how they were able to shut down Michael Thomas. I literally titled my matchup manifesto article, the Rams can't guard Michael Thomas. Well, they did. And they didn't even have to do, uh, use Aqib Tlaib and shadow covers to do so. And we saw Michael Thomas you know, get pretty much one-on-one coverage of Marcus Peters whenever they kind of wanted. But uh, Rams just did a really good job. Corey Littleton, their linebackers. You know, anytime Thomas tried to kind of go underneath, uh, there was always a second guy there to help take that away. Just a good thing to remember, I think, when evaluating these number one receivers. I mean, Michael Thomas had a lower target depth and a lot of, a lot of these other number one guys all season. He's always kind of used that underneath guy. So, uh, you know, anticipating if they were going to take him away, it, it does make sense that Alvin Kamara then became the, such a big part of the passing game and had such a big day. Other big takeaway from that game was hats off to Jared Goff. I mean, dude talked all about his uh, negative Cooper Cup splits, his bad home away splits in the lead up in the game. He made some huge throws before halftime at the end of the game and that game-winning drive. And, you know, just really his first uh, playoff game, he's actually played at a super high level uh, of these three he's had. So those are my uh, two takeaways from the NFC Championship game. Yeah, and then the, in the AFC, I mean, that was such a classic game. Uh, I mean, ignoring the fact that the under uh, felt like the right play for most of the game. <laughs> you and, jinxed it, man. That was your it fault. Obviously wasn't. Yeah, I, I mushed it. It was really bad. Um, but uh, really a fantastic game. Um, once again, we see the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, what did you think of that game from the, the matchup perspective? 
Yeah, big thing that, you know, I thought coming in would happen that did happen was we saw Damian Williams just eviscerate these Patriots linebackers uh, as a receiver. I mean, we talked about these slow-moving linebackers kind of all season. You know, uh, Tariq Cohen had a big game against them. Overall, seven running backs have caught at least five passes against New England this season. But especially when Andy Reid plays them, it's like he must just, um, I don't know, he's happiest guy ever trying to scheme up pass routes for his running backs. Williams finished with two receiving touchdowns. Kareem Hunt has three receiving touchdowns in two games against the Patriots over the last two years. So uh, keep that in mind next time uh, these two teams face off. And the other big thing was just, I, I understand the hesitation with playing Sony Michelle uh, in this game because Patriots get behind. Chiefs are such a fast starting offense. It's hard to kind of keep running the ball, but this is still a Chiefs defense that ranked 12th in pass DVOA and dead last in rush DVOA. So yeah. wasn't super surprising to see James Devlin play a season high snaps. You know, they really just kind of went old school and pounded the ball. So, uh, you know, they drafted Sony Michelle first round for a reason. They're going to give him the ball a lot when your season's on the line. So I wish we could see these two teams play each other like every week. You know, like these. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think the, these are the two best teams in the NFL. Even if I don't think the Patriots are very exciting, I think what they do week to week and like the variability in their game plans, like that is very exciting. So uh, yeah, it, it would be fun to see those two teams play against each other at least two times a year. Uh, looking ahead to the Super Bowl, the Rams opened as one point favorites. Now the Patriots are favored by two and a half. If you look at the live odds page at ActionNetwork.com, uh, let's start with. Just thinking about injuries, you have your injury uh, tracker that you publish each week. Anything we should be aware of? I mean, these are two relatively healthy, uh, healthy teams, except for the, the Cooper Cup injury. But, you know, that was kind of months ago at this point. Uh, the Rams have moved on from that. Um, you know, there was all this speculation on Sunday night that Todd Gurley might still be injured a little bit. Maybe that's why he's not playing as much. I don't know if that's really the case. I mean, I think maybe C.J. Anderson, generational talent that he is, was just outplaying him. Um, I mean, anything on the Gurley front, any injury news that we need to be aware of? Yeah, this was the easiest injury uh, report I've had to make all season. I mean, we'll know more next week when they actually release their practice participation. But right now, Based on, you know, what we saw going in the game and leaving the game, it doesn't seem like either team has an injured starter we need to worry about. I mean, maybe some guys will be limited, but we're tentatively expecting basically both teams to be at 100% minus, you know, the Cooper Cup injury, as you mentioned. But, yeah, this Gurley situation is wild. I mean, everyone kind of assumed he was hurt during the game, but we kind of had the opposite attitude right before the game. I mean, I know a popular stat going into Sunday was that next-gen stat where Gurley had a season-high six carries where he reached at least 15 miles per hour in the divisional round. So, Certainly looked good at going over 100 yards against the Cowboys. Obviously, didn't uh, carry over that game. And, yeah, Sean McVay afterwards just says it was a flow for the game decision. That girl, he wasn't hurt. It's just tough. I, I could see McVay, like, not telling the opponent that his stud running back is injured. But at the same time, like, the NFL has rules in place for this, and Gurley wasn't listed as limited on the injury report all week. And we have McVay telling us this. I mean, it's like it's taken all of us kind of – an extra couple of weeks to wrap our minds around the idea that a coach could literally bench Gurley for CJ Anderson. But I, that seems to be what hap what's happening. Yeah. I mean, CJ Anderson, um, it's interesting. I mean, he's, he's never been uh, like an elite running back, but he was, I mean, I'm going back to junior college days, but he like, he was like the, the best running back in junior college, his sophomore season. He was good enough uh, in that capacity to play at Cal uh, he was never like the lead back at Cal because he had another running back to contend with. But when that other running back was injured, Anderson had some massive games there. Uh, he had multiple uh, seasons of productivity with the Broncos was one of the major reasons they won a Super Bowl uh, a few years ago with Peyton Manning. So, I mean, CJ Anderson, and I think he's underrated as a receiving back too. 
So it's hard to say that like he is the type of guy who could put Todd Gurley on the bench, but I don't know. Like I think he's slightly above replacement level at the position. And if you have a running back who isn't playing as well, and maybe they think Gurley isn't playing as well, and they have another guy who has fresh legs. And I think that really could be a big thing with Anderson. You saw so little action early in the year that like he really actually might have just like more strength like in, in reservoir, you know, like to, to be able to grind it out to close the season. I mean, I think it's not inconceivable to think at a, a position that is so replaceable. CJ Anderson could replace Todd Gurley for a stretch of games. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I just always kind of considered, I agree, running backs in general are replaceable. I just thought, you know, your Gurley's, your Zeke's, yeah. maybe Alvin Kamara were kind of in this upper echelon where they weren't as replaceable. But yeah, I mean, CJ Anderson, uh, could a guy have a better kind of setup in his career? He goes from being Peyton Manning's running back to Sean McVay's running back. He's probably had yeah. maybe 20 career carries against a loaded box. So he's definitely getting, you know, help from his scheme and teammates. But, yeah, he's he's outplayed Todd Gurley the last two weeks, and there's no other way to say it. It's, it's just wild. Yeah. Well, it helps that he has the run blocking in front of him. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. You write each week uh, a matchup piece, a couple of matchup pieces, in fact, at the Action Network. And uh, so you wrote one uh, quickly after the two teams were decided for the Super Bowl, looking at the the matchups for the different units. Uh, Let's start with looking at the Rams' offensive line against the Patriots' front seven. And let's start with the, the run blocking. How do you think that those two units stack up? Yeah, it's the clearly advantage for the Rams. It's been an advantage for them the entire season. And Football Outsiders has a stat, adjusted line yards per rush, basically just tries to take the offensive lineman's like, um, impact on each given carry. And it's just a good way of telling how good each team's run blocking is, uh, independent of the running back. And the Rams averaged the most adjusted line yards per rush since Football Outsiders began tracking this stat in 1996. And t- it wasn't even close between the second-place team. I mean, they are legit. They're only – lineman that isn't among PFS top 10 players at their position is their center John Sullivan so really you know left right up the middle even they're strong however defenses want to approach them and I mean New England has been okay against the run this year but I do think their strength is in that secondary so I I wouldn't be surprised if we do see the Rams continue to try to lean on this running game Uh, you know Saints did a pretty good job of slowing them down last week but as recently as two weeks ago against the Cowboys you know we saw them really embrace this run heavy uh, offense to try to move the ball and I think we could see that again this week. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think we have this kind of clashing of two different philosophies where you have this offensive line that really likes to run block, is very good at it, and you have an offense that um, I wouldn't say like it's predicated on the run, but like the Saints are a a pretty – sorry, not the Saints. The Rams are a pretty run-heavy team. Uh, And then on the other side, you have this defense where I think Belichick is, you know, one of the smartest defensive coaches of like all time for football uh, and like very uh, kind of – opponent dependent and how he he creates his plans um but they have a very bend don't break system where like i imagine they are fine with the rams running the ball like i think they would probably rather have the rams run the ball than throw the ball so it's this weird thing where like i think they're going to be playing not to let the ball get over their head and to try to be good enough at stopping the run but without making that a priority so, like, it really could be the situation where, like, the Rams run for, like, 200 yards and still lose or something. You know what I mean? But, like, it's – I think it's this – it's an interesting matchup where one unit is really emphasizing what they are doing and the other unit, I think, is not emphasizing at all what, what they are going to be doing in that capacity. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think that's kind of been a trend with a lot of these good defenses. I mean, even on the Rams defense where teams are more willing to kind of give up yardage on the ground and hope that you can drop an extra safety into the box to kind of clean that up when needed versus if you can't stop the pass, I mean, you're not going to be able to stop pretty much any offense in the league at this point. So, yeah, we've seen both the Patriots and the Rams kind of pay more mind, I think, to their secondary and stopping the pass and then stopping the run all season. All right, let's look at the pass blocking. Obviously still a very good offensive line from uh, that viewpoint, but the Patriots have gotten better, especially in the postseason at rushing the passer. How do you see those units stacking up? Yeah, Rams are pretty good all year protecting Goff, and he was pressured on just 31% of his dropbacks, which was the 10th lowest mark in the league. Uh, Like you said, man, Patriots, especially in the playoffs here, have been stepping up. I I just think the Rams do such a good job, and when Goff does pass, it's usually play action. I mean, McVay's leaving Anderson Gurley in the block. Higby's really involved as a pass blocker as well. I just think uh, both these teams could have trouble getting pressure when uh, both McVay and, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels on the other side are going to be so good at kind of just making sure they have all their, you know, uh, I's dotted and T's crosses and all, and, and all that stuff. Because uh, when you look at this, again, there's no weakness on this Rams offensive line. And the Patriots don't really have a game-wrecking uh, uh, edge rusher or even interior defender for them to worry about too much. So uh, I have more concerns about how the Rams are going to fr- get free in the secondary with the receivers. I think they'll be able to control line of scrimmage in both the passing and run game. Yeah, I think Trey Flowers has had a, a pretty good year, um, but he's he's not like elite on that level of pass rusher that you would kind of think of as someone who could take over a game. And, and you mentioned the play action pass. I think this will be an instance where um, I like I don't have any data to back this up, um, but. I could see the Patriots really not being all that vulnerable to play action passing. You know, like you, I think it's just so ingrained in these guys that they need to play the run first, but I don't know if that's the case with the Patriots, right? So like I could see what normally works in play action against most teams not working against the Patriots. Real quick, I mean, Patriots, they run the most man coverage in the entire league. So when you just think about why defenders get fooled on play action, it's because they're playing zone. They're watching the play develop in the backfield and they get fooled by the fake run attempt and then all of a sudden the receiver's behind them. When you're playing man coverage, I mean, those cornerbacks are more or less mirroring their receiver on the outside. They're not even looking at the run game because that's not their responsibility. So, again, I don't have uh, stats to back that up either, but I would imagine play action is much less successful against man-heavy teams and zone-heavy teams. Yeah. Let's look at the Rams receivers versus the Pats pass defense. Uh, In pro football focus coverage grade, the Patriots have the number two overall coverage unit. Pretty impressive on the year, and a lot of that has to do with – Stefan Gilmore, but then also McCourty has been strong as a, a slot guy. And then the other McCourty has been good as a safety with Chung there. Uh, and then Jackson has really emerged as an undrafted uh, rookie free agent who uh, has kind of helped buckle down the other side of the, the field. So uh, pretty impressive unit all the way around. Uh, the linebackers aren't as strong in coverage, and I'm sure that's something uh, you'll, you'll touch on. But uh, how are you looking at the receivers versus the Pats pass defense? Yeah, I think the Pats pass defense matches up really well here. It's always difficult to tell what Bill, Bill Belichick's going to do with his coverage schemes. We've seen him, uh, you know, completely switch up who's, you know, kind of going the slot to be the number one uh, cornerback and all that. But I think we're going to see Stephon Gilmore in the slot with Robert Woods a lot this week. I mean, Gilmore, you know, hats off to him. He shadows and he's pretty much has the highest slot rate among all shadow cornerbacks. So when we talk about actually traveling with the receiver wherever they go, Stephon Gilmore is that guy. He's played 42% of his playoff snaps in the slot already, so it wouldn't be necessarily that big of a move. I think we see Brandon Cooks get that Tyree Kill treatment from the McCourty brothers. Basically, you know, you have Jason just lock up with uh, Brandon Cooks, try to uh, keep everything underneath under control, and you got Devin over the top. So 
Uh, Pages have been very hesitant to use Gilmore on the uh, opposing offenses, top field stretcher all season. Wouldn't expect that to change. And yeah, I mean, that leaves JC Jackson on Josh Reynolds, their worst cornerback. But like you said, man, JC's been balling out. He pretty much locked down Juju Smith Schuster uh, back when they played the Steelers. And yeah, so I don't see pretty much any advantage on this Rams uh, passing offense other than Todd Gurley, like you said, against these slow-moving linebackers. Uh, we haven't seen Gurley really do a ton in the passing game or, I mean, running game in the last week. But uh, it's, it's tough for me to believe that if you give McVay two weeks to scheme against this defense, he's not going to find a way to get uh, some of those man, uh, man coverage matchups between Gurley and a linebacker that we just saw the Chiefs take advantage of last week. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting and in, uh, in no way relevant to anything, but still interesting, uh, Brandon Cooks gets back-to-back, uh, you know, hashtag revenge game. <laughs> I, I will be curious to kind of see how they, how they use him. And the idea of Gilmore matching up with Woods, I think that makes sense And that, you know, Woods is the bigger guy. I think Gilmore matches up better with him than with Cooks. I mean, I have respect for what Woods has done in the last couple of seasons, but man, I think, I think Gilmore can really shut him down. And then if you have Gilmore shutting him down, you have the McCourty brothers on Cooks. I think the two of them together can shut him down. I think Jackson has the edge over Reynolds. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, it's, it looks like a situation where it's not as if, like, I'm wondering how the Rams are going to move the ball, but I think they will be challenged uh, against this, this Patriots pass defense, uh, which is kind of amazing because I think at the beginning of the year, you wouldn't necessarily have thought that they would have really all that good of, of a pass defense. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Because, I mean, the, the way they got McCourty from Cleveland for essentially it was like sixth or seventh round. Oh, that was pick, a great trade. And he just turns uh, back into the top 10 PFF uh, cornerback we saw for a brief time. But, yeah, I mean, look, we've always saw the Patriots, like they're going to take away the opponent's, like, number one weapon. But we saw last week they had enough guys in the secondary to take away the top two weapons. I mean, neither Travis Kelsey nor Tyreek Hill were able to take over that game. Chiefs she, she, still scored 31 points. I mean, so I, I, like you said, I don't think we're going to see the Rams just not be able to move the ball. But it definitely could be, you know, more Todd Gurley, Gerald Everett type of production, I think, than we're used to seeing. Yeah. You know, Ian, as I listen to you talk about these matchups and I hear you use numbers and data and advanced analytics to make your case, I can't help but think how everyone should read Nate Silver's book the signal and the noise. Uh, of course, even better, you can listen to it. It's like listening to a podcast, except it's organized and more researched, and the person talking has a much more pleasing voice. There's never been a better time to start listening than right now on Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. You can get the signal and the noise on Audible right now, narrated by Mike Chamberlain. Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible Originals. You can't hear any, anywhere else. Uh, Audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs to start the new year off on the right foot. I think that's a pretty good idea. Uh, and then listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, on your commute, or just on the go. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you can keep forever even if you cancel. Audible, the most inspiring minds, the most compelling stories, the best place to listen. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash action or text action to 500-500 and listen for a change. That is audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash action or text action, A-C-T-I-O-N to 500-500. Ian, scale of one to 10, how is that live read? 
Oh, I'll give you, I'll give you an 8.5, mostly because I'm a big fan of Audible. I'm like, I got to check out that Nate Silver piece you're talking about, fellow uh, UChicago alum. Let's go, Nate. Yes, nice, nice. Okay, uh, let's look to the Patriots side of the ball. The Patriots offensive line against the Rams front seven. Let's start with the run blocking. How do you think those units match up? I think the Pats got the advantage here in the line of scrimmage, and I think we should be looking at this Rams defense a little like uh, the Chiefs, honestly. I mean, look, the Rams finished the season ranked ninth in uh, DVOA against the run. I'm sorry, ninth in DVO against the pass, 28th in DVO against the run. And the Chiefs were 12th against the pass and 32 against the run. So, look, Dominican Sue, Aaron Donald, they're monsters in the middle. But And, and, and we've seen the uh, Rams have an above-average run defense and adjusted line yards up the middle. But things are tough on the outside, and that's where the Patriots can really thrive, I think. They're pretty much good run the ball everywhere. They're third in overall in adjusted line yards per rush. But number six over the left end specifically, you know, I think we did see the Saints uh, do a better job of exploiting that than the Cowboys. I'm not sure if it will be, you know, consistent outside sweeps to Sony Michelle and all that to take advantage of this. But, you know, these, these James White, uh, Alvin Kamara type passes that, you know, go down as the pass, but we're more or less just seeing extended stretch play uh, to off the end to – get away from some of those stalwarts up front from the Rams. I think is the way we'll see the Patriots go. Yeah. Um, I kind of disagree a little bit. I mean, I, so I get the logic of everything you're saying, but I think uh, they've really toughened up over the last few weeks. Um, I've been impressed with what the, the interior duo of Donald and Sue have done. And uh, I don't know, like I always get a little hesitant about splits um, but like the dif- the defense is just different with a what let me rephrase all that the defense is different with a keep to lead back and um, I think with him back they're able maybe to commit a little bit more to stopping the run but I mean like the Cowboys were a running team like that's what they wanted to do everything they do is predicated on the run and Donald and Sue were just able to shut that down and the Saints also I mean they were better than the Cowboys but like they still struggled they weren't able to do what they wanted to do on the ground and I think a lot of that again had to do with Donald and Sue uh and you know then you have Brockers who kind of rotates in and out um but yeah I mean I think those three guys especially Donald and Sue um I mean it I don't know like there's nothing there's nothing imposing there's nothing bad about the interior of the Patriots line but there's nothing really imposing about it either like Shaq Mason is pretty good but like Thune and Andrews like I think those guys can probably be beaten um and I don't know like I will I will just be curious to see how it is and maybe it is with with runs to the outside but I will be curious to see how it is that they approach those two guys because I think Donald and Sue can win the matchups in the middle yeah that's a good point with Talib being back too I'm uh, I'm not sure if it was a specific Rams player or coach, but they did mention against the Cowboys that kind of have in their secondary at full strength, they were able to devote extra attention to the line of scrimmage and kind of, you know, dare the Cowboys to beat them through the air. I just think that, I mean, come on, we've seen Tom Brady just dice yeah. up any, any defense in the league. I think if they do try to commit extra defenders to the line of scrimmage like they were able to do against the Cowboys, uh, they're going to have a lot harder time doing that. But they also did just go to the Superdome and hold the Saints to 23 points. So, uh, yeah, a lot of respect to what they've been able to do, and they have improved uh, throughout the season. The Dominican Sue especially, man, he's just been a different beast in the playoffs. I think uh, might have been saving himself a little bit more than uh, we thought in the regular season. Yeah. And let's – so let's talk about the, the pass blocking because I think – as good as Donald is as an interior pass rusher and like one of the best that the league has ever had, I think he will actually make more of an impact as a run stopper than a pass rusher because the Patriots have just been getting the ball out so quickly. And I think it's easier to kind of scheme 
to neutralize pass rushers, uh, you know, by moving the pocket a little, uh, kind of, you know, misdirection. Like, I think there are lots of things that they can do to neutralize the pass rush. Um, but talk about what you see uh, in, in the pass blocking versus the pass rushing. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an issue to block uh, Donald, I think, in all facets of the game. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, Brady just gets rid of the ball so damn quick that he might be able to neutralize the whole thing. I am concerned that this pressure is going to be coming up the middle from Donald and Sue. I mean, it's a lot harder for quarterbacks, I think, to deal uh, with that pressure in, in your face when you're not able to step up into the pocket. But, I mean, we did see against uh, that in that Chargers game, I mean, Bosa Ingram were, you know, kind of set up to be Brady's crypt tonight, and he got the ball out dang fast that there wasn't really much they could do overall this year the fourth quickest uh, release time among all QBs and only uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers had a lower pressure rate overall so even if I think the Rams probably do have advantage up front with Brockers Donald and Sue all those guys yeah I think Brady's just gonna be able to get the ball out too quick to really uh, uh, allow them to be able to do too much I guess the you could say the big um, kind of point for the Rams would be then to try to, you know, obviously build a lead and then kind of force Brady to have to take more uh, shots downfield and deeper dropbacks. But it's just tough to do, man. Uh, we'll see how it works out. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Patriots pass catchers versus the Rams pass defense. Uh, Edelman, uh, Hogan, Gronkowski, all of these guys are like above 30. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, any of them could retire at any moment and it wouldn't be a surprise. But uh, these, these are the guys getting it done. Um, how do you see all this? And then, of course, James White coming out of the backfield. I think, you know, White is probably, I don't know, top three, uh, top five, maybe, pass catching running backs in the league. I think probably top three. Um, but there are some other guys who are really good. Um, how do you see these units stacking up? Yeah, shout out to James White, owner of uh, two to three most receptions in a playoff game in NFL history. Sheesh. But yeah, so they've now had four games without Josh Gordon, and we've kind of seen them fully embrace this kind of short, efficient passing attack that Brady's more or less been using for the last 20 years. But in those four games, Julian Edelman has 39 targets. James White has 32. Then we have a drop-off. Hogan's at 23, Gronk's at 17, and Dorsett and Burkhead are at 12. I think the one auxiliary guy that we've got to keep an eye on this week is Philip Dorsett. He scored in three straight games without Gordon. He's got legit 4-3 speed. I mean, he's a big play guy, and he's facing a Rams defense that has allowed the third highest explosive pass play rate this season. So yeah. they've been better at Tlaib, but they still have allowed plenty of big plays. My big question is, you know, if the Rams, again, do a good job of taking away a number one receiver, that being Edelman, who's going to be the next big beneficiary? And, you know, Mike Thomas, bigger, more athletic guy than Julian Edelman, but – they both kind of occupy similar areas of the field in their route running. So yeah. that, would, that would seem to indicate, you know, James White's in for another James White game. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a big uh, kind of reason to think that'll be otherwise. Uh, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I don't think that the, the Rams have the linebackers to be able to stick with James White. And it feels like this is like the third game in a row where I'm like, this is a James White game. Um, but <laughs> that, It's been a James White season, man. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's true. They've never relied on a running back as a pass catcher more. Um, but, you know, like Baron Littleton, like I don't think those two guys can keep up with White out of the backfield. Uh, on, on top of the fact that, like, I think the Patriots are creative in how they scheme to get the ball to their guys anyway. So I, I think, like, even if it were an even playing field, um, Barron and Littleton couldn't keep up with White. But I don't think it will be an even playing field when they're getting the ball to White in space. Um, I agree that Edelman, um, I think it's, it's a tougher matchup for him. I like the idea. I, I think you're right. Like, Dorsett, um, you know who he's going to burn. It's going to be Peters. You know, like, that's – and that's, like, very possible. Um, and, and then for me, one of the questions is, like, Gronk, is he going to be able to produce when he's matched up against one of these safeties or, you know, maybe 
at points they can get him matched up against the linebacker. I think he can win there. Um, but Johnson uh, and Joyner, like those are two very good safeties. I wouldn't say like that's the best safety duo in the league, but like it's, it's up there. Um, I think a lot of it will be predicated on how much he can win against those two, because if Edelman is shut down and they're not able to get as much going to Hogan, uh, someone has to step up and it can't all be James White. So some of it I think has to be Gronkowski. So yeah, I will be, for me, that's kind of like the, the matchup for the, the Patriots offense to see like how much Gronk can have success against linebackers and safeties. Yeah, and I agree with you. these Rams safeties. Uh, Joyner and Johnson are both, I, I think, probably the, definitely definitely better than what uh, the Chiefs were trotting out just because Eric Berry, he was able to play, but, I mean, this I think he only played two or three games the whole season. They're talking about off-season surgery. Wasn't particularly surprising to see Gronk kind of be able to get, get up on over, you know, a limited Eric Berry, whereas Joyner Johnson, much more athletic. Uh, I think we're going to see similar challenges to what uh, Gronk faced against the Chargers and Derwin James. So, yeah, uh, I guess it's going to be tough for Gronk to get going as well. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the biggest mismatch, uh, let's say, for the Patriots um, in, in their advantage? What do you think is the biggest mismatch? I think it's this run game on the edge, man. Uh, it could, it, you know, we could have seen just a ton of James White. I'm with you there. But going back to these linebackers for a sec, I mean, Corey Littleton's uh, solid, and he's made some big plays, about 240 pounds. But Mark Barron's pretty much a, convert, a hybrid safety. He's only yeah. 215 pounds. Yeah. Let's play some big boy football again, New England. Get James Devlin in there and uh, see if you can wear them down a little bit up front. So, again, I mean, Donald and Sue, if they're going to keep being complete game wreckers, that, that idea could be tough. Rams get up early. That, that could be tough. But I do think, though, you know, Pats, just based on the numbers, their best advantage here is attacking the edge in the run game. I think that makes sense. And, and I mean, that is the way to, to neutralize Donald and Sue, just not even to worry about them, just, just run it uh, away from them. Exactly. Uh, for the Rams – uh, what do you think is their, their biggest mismatch edge? Yeah, I think it's Gurley against these uh, slow-moving Pats linebackers in the passing game. Uh, again, we haven't quite seen it in recent weeks, but we've seen enough of Gurley, you know, in the screen game and even downfield over the last two seasons uh, to make me think that it'd be crazy for McVay not to go back uh, to that route this week. Okay, the NFL draft. It is approaching. I mean, it's months away, but it is approaching. Uh, you know, 30 teams are already looking ahead to the draft. Uh, and Ian, you have a piece that will be coming out shortly. As people are listening to this, the piece will probably be out. Um, but we're going to preview that piece. It is looking at the team needs for all 32 NFL franchises. Uh, let's give a little preview of that. I want to talk about, let's say, maybe the, the top three, the top five teams uh, picking in the draft. So we have the Cardinals, the 49ers, the Jets, uh, and then after that, the Raiders and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, let's start with the Cardinals. Uh, what are the biggest needs that they have? And, and obviously, as a kind of uh, way of, of framing this conversation, it doesn't necessarily work out always that a team drafts for need. Uh, sometimes, you know, they just they can't move down or, you know, they don't maybe have a big needed position, but they, they take there anyway because, uh, you know, that's the best player in the draft or something like that. But uh, team needs, the Cardinals, uh, what do they need? Yeah, that was, that was a good, good uh, disclaimer there because if the Cardinals don't trade down, it'd be – I mean, I assume they're going to take Nick Bosa even if edge defender isn't our top need here. But, yeah, offensive tackle, wide receiver, and cornerback, my top three needs for the Cardinals here. I mean, they just couldn't keep Rosen upright all season. Only Rosen, Deshaun Watson, and Josh Allen were pressured on at least 40% of their dropbacks. Love Larry Fitz, but, I mean, he's 36 years old now. It's 
oh man, it's yeah. it's got it's got to be some point for him. Uh, Christian Kirk flashed as a rookie a little bit, but with all due respect to your boy JJ Nelson, I don't think the rest of the receivers uh, <laughs> no. offer much starter potential. Yeah. And then uh, on defense, you, know, you can put edge defender here, uh, kind of similar thing where Chandler Jones is a beast, but they don't have a great guy across from him. I think the same problems in the secondary of Patrick Peterson. He's still playing on all world level, but other than Buda Baker, really not any other above average uh, defenders uh, in that secondary. All right, the 49ers, uh, man, two teams in the same division that really bombed this year. Uh, what do you see as their needs? Yeah, I think uh, go get some more wide receivers. Jimmy GQ is going to be back next year. We'll see if he uh, carries the same preseason hype after suffering that injury. But, I mean, Dante Pettis looked pretty damn good then this season. He was the uh, overall PPR wide receiver eight in weeks 12 through 15 with uh, Nick Mullins kind of centered there. But Pierre Garcon, 32 years old, think they'll move on from him. And Marquise Goodwin probably a little better off as a field stretcher than a kind of number one receiver. Uh, Ruben Foster's situation left the 49ers pretty weak at linebacker. None of their remaining players even cracked PFF's top 50 players of the position. And finally, the secondary. I mean, Richard Sherman had a really good first half of the season. Well, still okay in the second half. I mean, I don't think he's the problem there. But everywhere else, yeah, there's a problem. I mean, they were 27th overall and past DVOA, and they didn't even rank, like, top 16 against a single position. They were just pretty much bad across the entire secondary. So just get some more athletes in that secondary, like they've kind of been adding to the D-line over the years. All right, the Jets are picking third. They got their quarterback last year in Sam Darnold. What do they need to do this year? I think I'm higher on the Jets kind of weapons than most. I think addressing the offensive line is a bigger uh, issue for them right now. They were number 18 in adjusted sack rate and number 23 in pressure rate allowed. I mean, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anumwa, Chris Herndon, we never quite saw them all gel together, but we did see them flash separately. So yeah. I'd like to see what they all can do after an offseason together. And the D-line, just getting more talent back on there. I mean, this was a strength of the Jets for years. Mohamed Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson. I mean, it was a kind of helped uh, revolutionize the whole pass funnel idea. But now all they have left is a former number six overall pick, Leonard Williams. They don't have another top two-round pick on the defensive line. So especially a new scheme at Todd Bowles gone. Go ahead and uh, get some more talent there. And on cornerback, uh, I think Tremaine Johnson's a worthy number one cornerback. But Maurice Claiborne and complete liability Buster Scry in the slot are both free agents. So they'll need to improve uh, their secondary as well. Uh, he's played so poorly that uh, I pronounce his last name screen. Uh, that's, that's really what it should be. <laughs> I like be. it. Uh, okay, the Raiders are picking fourth. Um, in addition to the, the first-round picks that they have later because of the trades to the Bears and the Cowboys, uh, what do you see as – I mean, they have needs all over. But, like, what do you see as their three biggest needs? Yeah, well, two of them, they need to go ahead and replace the guys that they got those first-round picks for yeah. and, uh, at receiver yeah. and pass rush. I mean, also, I mean, Jared Cook was basically the number one receiver last season. Now he's a free agent. So, unless you feel like building around Jordy Nelson and Seth Roberts, I think you can go, go ahead and overhaul the entire – uh, receiver predict, uh, position and then pass rush I mean goodness gracious 13 sacks last season that's the second lowest in NFL history since 1982 uh, among teams that played at least 16 games and oh my god I mean man that's bad yeah I'd like to see him address that maybe uh, Josh Allen from Kentucky with that number four pick because I, I think the pass rush was the single worst part of the Raiders uh, roster last season and then lastly just in the secondary I'm not giving up on a 2017 first round pick Darren Conley just yet he's been injured but these other guys I mean Leon Hall Ben A. Benwickery Daryl Worley, Sean Melvin was pretty good in Indy, but these other guys, we've seen them go to multiple teams now and not really be good anywhere. So uh, I think if Gruden can kind of remove uh, some of his uh, preconceived notions about these guys with his new GM, we'll see a revamped secondary as well. Picking fifth, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what do you see uh, as their biggest needs? I'm Team Jameis here, and from what I've heard, uh, 
from Bruce Arians, he seems to be as well. So I don't think that's an immediate uh, position of need for them. I think instead, let's try to make the offensive line a little better around Jameis and maybe even get a run game in Tampa would be nice. They were uh, 31st in adjusted line yards per rush last season. Weren't great at protecting Jameis. Both of their starting tackles ranked outside of PFF's top 40 players, their position. And then looking at defense, pass rush was just really bad. They uh, Only the Raiders and Falcons had a lower pressure rate. They signed Jason Pierre-Paul and Vinnie Curry in the offseason last year. Neither of them really worked out and they can move on. So wouldn't be surprised to see a new group there. And then the secondary, I mean, Brent Grimes was a number one cornerback and he literally refused to travel with number one wide receivers at the end of the season because he didn't think he was being paid enough. So assuming you don't want that guy back in your locker room, we got pretty yeah. much some, some rookies they picked up uh, uh, last season that, you know, showed a little bit, but just a whole lot of unproven commodities in that Tampa Bay secondary. I think we could uh, maybe see Greedy Williams or one of these top cornerbacks go to them at number five. Yeah, uh, really interesting with uh, Grimes. Uh, he didn't feel he was being paid enough to shadow, and basically he was being paid way too much. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. Uh, Ian, as you were talking about team needs, it made me think about uh, myself, obviously, and what I need. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was a guy who needed to do some laundry. Really, I just needed some new clothes. But now, thanks to Mack Weldon and the shipment I just got from them, I can put off doing laundry for another couple of weeks. I can look good while that pile of dirty clothes gets bigger. Let me tell you about Mack Weldon. Their mission is simple, to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. And frankly, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Unless, of course, you are already wearing Mack Weldon, which you should be. Uh, if there's one thing I hate in life, it's shopping for clothes, especially shopping for clothes online. But Mack Weldon has a really easy-to-use, streamlined, intuitive website to go along with the smart design and premium fabric of their clothes. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. And I know this. Because right now, I'm wearing 100% Mack Weldon, and I promise you that these are the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, hoodies, uh, undershirts, and sweatpants that I've ever worn. Uh, let's go into more detail, shall we, about this underwear. Mack Weldon has silver underwear that is naturally antimicrobial, which means that they eliminate odor, which means that I basically never need to take this pair of underwear off again. That's how it works. It's science. Not only do Mack Weldon underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too, if you know what I mean. My wife is suddenly much more interested in me now that I'm wearing Mack Weldon. The clothes are good for working out, going out, just everyday life. My personal favorite Mack Weldon product, besides the stink-proof underwear, is the hoodie. I work from home. Uh, when normal people go out to work and leave the house, they wear adult clothes. Not me. When I work, I put on a hoodie. I have an extensive collection of hoodies. And now that Mack Weldon hoodie is my favorite. I like the material and the way it's cut. It's like wearing a glove, except on my torso. It's a torso glove. The Mack Weldon hoodie is basically my power suit. What I'm saying is that you need to get yourself some Mack Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code ACTION at checkout. Ian, how was that live read? That was okay. electric. That was Thank electric. You. But Thank one you. thing, man, you said like, putting on hoodies for work. I got a hoodie on today. I was, I didn't even get out of the robe yesterday. So I, I feel if I can get a hoodie on, like that's an achievement for me. Yeah, right? exactly. Taking, <laughs> taking off the robe and putting on the hoodie. Yeah. That, that is definitely your version of a power suit. Uh, okay. I have a mock draft uh, that, that will be coming out at some point. As you are listening to this, it is maybe already out. So I'm going to give kind of some previews of, uh, of the mock draft and, and kind of thinking about this first round in general. And, and Ian, you mentioned some of these guys. And you talked specifically about some of these defenders. It is a good year for uh, the defensive line, a good year for defenders in general, not a good year for quarterbacks, not a good year for running backs. The running back smash year is going to be 2020. 
a number of really good college backs who will be coming out then, but uh, not a good year if you're really looking to address uh, your running backs or your quarterbacks. It is a good, probably not a great year for wide receivers, but it, it maybe could be a great year for wide receivers. Like there are, I'd say anywhere from, it's just hard to know how this breaks down, but anywhere from like one to five guys who could be first round wide receivers. And I know that is a really wide range right now, um, but we just kind of have to see how these guys test at the combine, uh, what size they are, what happens in, uh, in free agency, just things like that. But it, it could be, I, I think at a minimum, it is a good year for wide receivers. Uh, it could be a great year. And on the offensive side of the ball, um, that is one of the strengths. The real strength, though, on the offensive side of the ball is tight end. Um, this is a fantastic year for tight end. Uh, you have two guys coming out of Iowa, which is sort of like tight end university at this point, uh, like two guys who could be potential first or second rounders at the position, um, a number of young underclassmen declaring for the position. So, I mean, no one, it's interesting because no one thinks, oh, we've really got to get a tight end to make this offense go. But like, you can see what someone like Travis Kelsey does for, uh, for the chiefs or what, uh, you know, George Kittle did for the 49ers. Um, there are a number of guys like that who are in this draft class. So this could be a really exciting year. Um, and like a good tight end, like he really transforms your offense because if the defense goes small, um, then you can run the ball, right? And if the defense is uh, playing too much of a, a run defense, then you can exploit them with your tight end. So it, it is a, a really interesting year for that position there literally could be like seven tight ends who are taken in the first two rounds, you know, maybe eight taken in the first three. Like that is very possible. So as strong as the tight end class was just a couple of years ago, um, you know, the class where David and Joku was coming out and you had Evan Ingram, you had three tight ends go in the first round. Uh, we could see something very much like that again this year. Uh, so that is kind of exciting. Ian, do you have any kind of big picture thoughts on um, like the composition of this draft class? Yeah, I agree with a lot of things you just said, especially uh, tight end. I mean, I know uh, Iowa, it's, it's cool how they got the, um, the one guy's more complete and then we got um, Noah who's freaking freak athlete times a hundred yeah. trillion. Uh, so I think the big thing here with these tight ends coming in is just identifying which ones are you more in line guys and which ones could be basically a slot receiver at the next level. I mean, big example of that was in Baltimore last year. I mean, Mark Andrews more or less a slot receiver with Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. And then we saw Hayden Hurst uh, kind of be the more of the blocking type. So Andrews ended up being obviously the guy we wanted more in fantasy. So I do think, uh, you know, if one of these tight ends is able to kind of go to a team that's weak at receiver, maybe they have enough talent to, you know, be a year one Evan Ingram type where they're actually a top two, three receiver in their offense. Cause I mean, we've seen those guys be undervalued in DFS again and again and again, these uh, tight ends that just have these massive receiving roles. So uh, definitely looking forward to seeing some of these guys at the combine. I mean, I haven't uh, gotten there yet in my mock draft, but uh, I feel pretty strongly I'm going to be giving the Patriots a tight end. Uh, where, wherever it is, pick 31, pick 32, I'm going to be giving them a tight end there um, because there, I think there will be a player of value there, and I think that is a pretty clear need for them. Uh, and it, it takes rookie tight ends uh, a while, you know, like most of the time you don't see these guys do it as rookies. Uh, but, you know, second year, third year, that's really when those tight ends start to break out. And so, you know, maybe this is Gronk's last year. Maybe he has one or two years left, but uh, it really would be pretty fantastic for them to get another uh, really high functioning tight end and let that guy develop for a year uh, behind 
or alongside Gronkowski. Um, let's talk about any players that we might like, uh, maybe potentially too much. Uh, who is standing out to you? Yeah, I got emotional bias times 100 on Kyler Murray right now. Yeah. I've been watching this guy since he was at A&M, and I mean, just, he's always the fastest guy in the football field, and then we get a whole season of him pretty much putting up uh, the same efficiency numbers as Baker Mayfield, and it's like the only bad thing I can find about the guy is he's short. You know, we've seen uh, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, some recent guys be able to overcome that, so I'm, I'm just rooting hardcore for Kyler, and I love that he picked football over baseball. I mean, everyone, you know, oh, he's so stupid, Kyler, for doing this. He's making tens of millions of dollars anyway. Let the dang guy do whatever he wants. Do what makes you happy, Kyler, and that's exactly what he's doing. So I love that. And then also, I mean, I have never seen a class of cornerbacks with better names. We got Greedy yeah. Williams from LSU. There's another guy from Temple named Rock Yassin. I mean, this is incredible. I'm not sure these guys have the same talent as Denzel Ward or if they'll be the same uh, day one contributors, but – Ooh, boy, it's like, uh, I don't know, some of the 70s and 80s cornerbacks in the NFL just decided to name their kids like the best possible names to go to the NFL. So it's working. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Greedy Williams there. Uh, he will, I imagine, be a, a top 10 guy in my mock draft and I think in the NFL draft. Uh, for me, someone uh, – I didn't always like this guy, but I'm really starting to come around on him – is Andy Isabella, uh, wide receiver from Massachusetts. Smaller guy. Like, he feels just like a, a future Patriot player. You know, 5'10", 190 pounds. Um, you know, right now I could see him going anywhere from like round four to, you know, round six. Um, but he was a Bolitnikoff finalist. Uh, he was first in the nation in receiving yards, second in receptions, sixth in touchdowns. Um, you know, played running back at one point earlier in his career. Uh, so he has like a diverse skill set. Um, the thing that two things actually really – intrigue me in a way that I'm normally not intrigued by small guys who play at smaller programs. One, uh, he was super dominant in terms of market share, uh, had 47.5% of his team's receiving yardage, which is just a, a huge percentage, um, you know, for anywhere, regardless of, of where a guy is playing. Um, and then had 48.2% of the receiving touchdowns. That is also a really high percentage. And then secondly, um, I think he's actually a better athlete than what people would maybe expect. Um, he, he ran track, and this is like going back to high school now, but like in high school, he actually beat Denzel Ward uh, in a track Ooh. competition. And it, it wasn't like, um, I, I mean, it was like, like legit. Like he, like he barely beat him, but he beat him. Like they were step for step, you know? So like he has, I think, some legit ability. And maybe like Denzel Ward has just kind of like, to, and this was when they were seniors, you know? So maybe Denzel Ward has kind of like advanced since then. Um, you know, and, and maybe Isabella has kind of like peaked, but like, I think he has actually some legit athleticism. And even if all he is, is just a slot receiver, I think he could do that in a very high level capacity. So he's someone who is really intriguing to me because I think he will go later in the draft, um, but ultimately could end up being someone who's really productive for a team, um, which leads me into the fact that I have my way too early rookie rankings um, this was published a couple of weeks ago. I will update those this week. Um, and this is way too early rookie rankings for, uh, for dynasty purposes. Um, some big picture kind of trends about the rankings. Uh, I'm very heavy on wide receivers in the first round. I think there's a lot of value at the running back position in rounds two and three. And uh, I really need to rethink where and how I rank the tight ends. Um, because since I made these rankings, I have gained more of an appreciation for these tight ends. 
uh, and I need to have many more of them in my rankings and probably move them up. I think in general, it's a good year to have picks in round two and probably the top of round three. I, don't, I think the first round isn't a great round to be uh, heavily invested, um, kind of relative to the value that you could get in other years or uh, the expected value that you can get out of rounds two and three. Um, there are a number of, uh, I think, wide receivers who have the potential to produce like round one receivers who will uh, be available later in the draft. And then obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I think some value running backs are available in the second and third rounds. Um, the running back position I mentioned earlier, it's kind of weak this year. Um, there are a few interesting guys. Tyler, sorry, uh, David Montgomery from Iowa State. Uh, I think he is the most complete back who also has like good um, – good production this year. Josh Jacobs, you know, from Alabama, someone who's getting a lot of hype, but he never really, he was never a guy who put it all together and had a very productive year, but we did see other guys do that. David Montgomery being one of them. But in the second round, I think you're going to be able to get guys like um, Rodney Anderson, who is scary because of his medical history at Oklahoma, but he was hugely productive uh, in 2017. Um, before missing almost all of 2018 with a, an ACL injury. Um, but he's someone who could end up being, I think, like a, a top five, top 10 running back in the league if he's able to stay healthy. Uh, someone else who's really uh, interesting, Travion Williams from Texas A&M. Uh, a smaller guy, but hugely productive. Like uh, productive at a level almost unseen uh, in the SEC. Uh, since 2000, only four other SEC backs have had at least 1,750 yards rushing in a season. Leonard Fournette, Derrick Henry, Trey Mason, Darren McFadden, all of those guys were top 100 draft picks. Uh, so I think there's some real potential there for Williams. But like a number of guys I expect to be available in the second round uh, who will offer some pretty significant upside. So I think it's a good time to be in rounds two and at the top of round three for rookie drafts. Uh, Ian, anything else that I'm missing here? Dinky touchdown, and man, I'm a I'm looking forward to seeing what this David Montgomery guy is all about. I was watching an Iowa State game earlier this year, and listen to these comps: feet of Saquon Barkley, vision of Le'Veon Bell, strength of Zico Elliott, and athleticism of Sony Michelle. I mean, he's awesome. I'm not taking anything away from him. I just think it's funny sometimes these uh early pro comparisons can get a little bit ridiculous for these guys. But I'm looking forward to uh. Uh, seeing, you know, some of the senior bowl stuff and combine stuff coming forward. So it's, it's, it's a great time, man. NFL offseason is uh, one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, uh, that comp is entirely ridiculous. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, doesn't even need to be said. But um, yeah. Okay. Um, what pieces are you doing over the next couple of weeks at the Action Network and Fantasy Labs? Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff coming up. Uh, team needs, like you said. Uh, we'll be out. You know, I wrote uh, about 3,000 words uh, Monday after championship Sunday on every single team's uh, top three needs. So make sure to check that out. And yeah, we'll have a bunch of uh, Super Bowl matchup specific stuff coming out. I want to also look at, uh, you know, where's um, Jared Goff rank among the quarterbacks that have faced the Patriots in their Super Bowls and also going to check out the Patriots ever evolving committee backfield over the years. So make sure you check those out on the Action Network. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. For Ian Harditz, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt of the Oracle. See you again next episode.